you are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, NFL fans? Thank you very much for checking out this bonus episode here on Locked On NFL with the conference championship games on their way this weekend. Here are our local experts with in-depth crossover coverage of the NFC and AFC championship games. First off, you're going to hear Chris Clark of Locked On Chiefs and Joe Marino of Locked On Bills breaking down Bills at Chiefs. Then you've got Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers and David Harrison of Locked On Bucks for the Brady Rogers Showdown in Lambeau. For more on the local angle of each game, check out the Locked On Podcast for any of the four teams, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the AFC Championship crossover show with Joe Marino and Chris Clark from Locked On Chiefs and Locked On Bills. Man, I'm excited about this game, Joe. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'd say the Bills haven't been here since 1993. Um, and so <laughs> the last time I think the Bills were in the AFC Championship game, it was against the Chiefs. So uh, their their four-game win streak in the AFC Championship game when they've been there is on the line here. And obviously uh, the Chiefs have been there the last three seasons, including this year. So um, it's uh, it's an exciting time for Bills Mafia. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm hoping that this one turns out differently than the last one the Bills and the Chiefs played. Uh, I'll never forget that game because that was the game that Joe Montana went out with a concussion. So uh, I want to get this out of the way so everybody knows we are going to operate under the assumption that Patrick Mahomes is going to play in this game. Uh, It seems to be all the news that's trickling out about him is that he is getting to a point where he should be passing the concussion protocol. So we're operating under the assumption that he's going to play. So let's just dive right in. Joe, this team has looked a lot different than the team that Kansas City played in week six. What have you seen that's really changed since then? Well, I think the biggest thing, Chris, is that they're healthy and they weren't in week six. Uh, you look at Matt Milano, he didn't play in week six. Uh, Levi Wallace, uh, starting cornerback, didn't play. John Feliciano, starting right guard, starting tight end. Dawson Knox was out in that game. It was Ike Bakker's first start uh, in the NFL at left guard. And obviously, Chris Jones is a uh, no small assignment for your first uh, NFL start. Brian Winters is no longer in the starting lineup at guard. Yeah, Tremaine Edmonds was still battling a shoulder injury during that game. Trey White was a game-time decision. And then Taron Johnson was also benched for Cam Lewis in the slot for that game. And, and Josh Allen himself was still working back from injury that he suffered a couple weeks prior against the Raiders. And uh, it was his worst game of the year with uh, windy conditions. And obviously, it was a bit damp on the field. So, I think the biggest difference between this team now compared to week six is that they're a whole lot more healthy and the defense has really found itself uh, early in the season, whether it was injuries or figuring out the defensive line rotation, you know, the, the, the unit didn't meet expectations early on, but as you can probably gather from holding Baltimore to three points last week, this bills defense is reminiscent now later in the season uh, compared to where where it was in 2018 and 2019. And so I think from just looking at the Bills today compared to where they were in week six, it's a completely different football team that I think is a lot better equipped to handle this matchup this time around. And when you talk about health, I want to get into that really quick. I just have a quick question. Cole Beasley, at least he played the past couple of weeks, but it sure looks like he isn't necessarily the same guy he was early in the season. Is he still dealing with an injury in your opinion? Well, yeah, I think that's for sure. He's he's not 100%. Um, it was encouraging against Indianapolis. I think he had seven catches on seven targets. 
uh, and looked good in that football game. And they have a good slot corner there in Indianapolis, uh, Kenny Moore. But last week against Marlon Humphrey with Baltimore, you know, he really shut him down. He was only targeted twice, didn't catch a pass in the game. Uh, but it really did allow John Brown and Stefan Diggs to feast on the outside corners. And so, yeah, I definitely think he's an X factor for this game. Algerius Sneed's been really good in the slot for Kansas City this year. And uh, that'll be a tough assignment for Cole Beasley. And we know that Cole is an important part of this offense, especially when it comes to uh, just keeping the chains moving, right? It's third and Beasley so many times. And so having having that option for Josh Allen is is going to be important in a game where I think uh, possessions are going to be at a premium uh, because I'm expecting some points on Sunday night. So uh, a healthy Cole Beasley would matter, but uh, I, I don't think you're going to see him 100%. And uh, for the Bills' sake, hopefully it's more uh, reminiscent of what they got in the Colts game compared to the Ravens game. Yeah, no, I, I can certainly understand that when you start looking at the health of different players. Uh, when you start looking at what this offense has done over the past couple of weeks compared to uh, what they did early in the season, it seems like this offense has really come alive. I understand, you know, you added digs this year so it's been a little bit of a acclimation period for josh allen and digs although i think they started off pretty good but i think they've gotten any uh even better what have you really seen from those two over the past you know five or six weeks that they've been playing yeah i think that they really have hit their stride and even early on i mean they they started off pretty hot i mean digs was the leading receiver in the nfl in terms of yards and receptions and so when you consider the off season that was where they really didn't have OTAs or training camp or mini camp or any of the normal stuff that exists for teams to develop chemistry and timing for Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs to, you know, really bond so quickly um, is pretty impressive. And um, yeah, I think late in the season, as things have went along, uh, just the confidence that's there, they're on the same page. Obviously Josh Allen works off script a ton. And, and those two guys in terms of, uh, being on the same page when things break down and, and the scramble drill, I think, is really where they've been dangerous and, and made some high level plays to keep the chains moving and, and score points. So uh, I think they've been hot all year, but late in the season, it's that chemistry that is really built up to this point where they just have a great feel for each other uh, that has uh, led to some really exciting plays. I know that uh, Chiefs fans know all about exciting off script plays from Patrick Mahomes and, and the bills are starting to get more of that from Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs in the mix now. And I'm glad you're bringing up Patrick Mahomes and the off script plays, because what I wanted to go to next is when you flip flip it over to the other side of the ball, I do think that the defense has played a little bit better down the stretch, but I do also think uh, that this is going to be probably the key matchup of this game. Obviously the chiefs defense versus the bills offense is going to be important. But really, the question is going to be, can you slow down this Chiefs offense and can you hold them under 30 points? If you can hold them under 30 points, then I think, you know, that's probably the way to beat them. How are you feeling about doing that, knowing that the Chiefs are probably going to be pretty healthy in this game, minus maybe Sammy Watkins? Well, Chris, I mean, the the idea of going up against Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Miko Hardman and... Uh, Sammy Watkins and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Le'Veon Bell. I mean, that's nightmare stuff, man. I mean, that's that's that, there's no uh, there's no quick answer to how you stop that. I, I think you have to look at um, this offense and understand that it, it it does stress you in so many different ways, whether that's vertically, horizontally. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes, the rules of playing quarterback don't apply to him. So even when you have the the, the right defensive call, it, sometimes it just doesn't matter because of what he's uh, what he's able to do. He's such a special player. So I think it just comes down to being disciplined. Um, obviously, we know, number one, uh, Patrick Mahomes 
kills you if you blitz. I mean, I think he's got a 130 passer rating when you blitz. And when he's in a clean pocket, I mean, he's 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 impossible to stop. So you have to get pressure and you have to do that with your four uh, rushers. You can't send extra guys because Patrick Mahomes will destroy you if you blitz him. And so I think uh, organic pressure is, is really important uh, for the Bills in, in terms of the way they play defense. I, I think you have to play zone coverage. Um, the Bills don't have the speed in the secondary to run with Hill or Hardman. And so don't try to stay leveraged. Uh, and, and take away some of those deep throws, which is what their their formula was in, in week six. They said, hey, we're going to invite you to run the football as much as you want. We're going to give you light boxes, and uh, we really hope that you do. And uh, we don't want Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball down the field against, field against us. And while that introduced some variance in that game, it wasn't good enough. I think probably the bigger concern from that game wasn't the Bills' defensive game plan. It was that the offense didn't produce against Kansas City, and they were flat all game, and Josh was, was definitely his worst game of the year. And so... Um, I'll be interested to see how Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott attack this this uh, Chiefs offense this go round. But I think it's discipline, it's staying leveraged in coverage, it's organic pressure, and not letting Patrick Mahomes get outside the pocket. If you recall, in Week Six, some of those critical third down con- conversions late in the game that preserved the win for Kansas City, it was about Patrick Mahomes rolling to his right and getting outside the pocket and making those throws. I think the Bills have to limit that as much as they can on Sunday. And I'm glad you brought up the running game because that was really what one of the keys was to that win against Buffalo. Uh, they went off on the running in the running game. And that was really surprising because that's not what the Chiefs are known to do. That's not what you would expect them to do. Uh, so I'm really curious to see if that's how the Bills decide to try to attack them this time because it didn't work out the last time. I understand, like we've said, this is going to be a different game than it was last time. The one thing that I think really could play in the Kansas City's favor uh, I don't think that it's normally I would say the weather is going to affect Buffalo since they come from, you know, playing in snow. But you are looking at a situation where you could be down your top two running backs, possibly. We'll see on that. But you don't have a running game to speak of. Kansas City, at least if they get Clyde Edwards Alaire back, have something that they can lean on. And that could be very important considering it looks like it could be raining in, in the 40s at kickoff. Yeah, there's no there's no question about it. The Bills don't have a very good rushing attack. And uh, part of that is I don't think it's a priority for them. Their, their script has been throwing the football and passing it, and that's worked quite well for them this year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, the Bills have, I think, if you look at the numbers, I think they average about seven less rushing yards per game than the Chiefs. And so while there's a lot of narratives about the Bills and their rushing attack, I mean, it's not like the Kansas City is lighting it up on the ground. I think they're more potent as a rushing attack. I, I certainly think they have a more talented backfield and an offensive line that uh, at least plays well together, but it's not like Kansas City's this ground and pound team that's really equipped to play in the elements either. And so I think where you, if you're Buffalo and, and it comes down to, you know, you're really restricted with your ability to to throw the football, I think you, you probably want to introduce some more quarterback runs and uh, getting Josh Allen involved. And when you run the ball with your quarterback, uh, it, it gives you an extra blocker, right? You're playing football with 11 guys on offense instead of having just your quarterback hand off the football. And so if it comes down to a game where, where the Bills are forced to really uh, lean into the ground game, I would expect Josh Allen to be a big part uh, of that formula. <laughs> and as w- watching last week's game, watching the quarterback run, and that's where Mahomes got hurt. Uh, I hope that's not what ends up happening in this game, but Uh, That's definitely going to be something to watch on Sunday. When we get back, Joe is going to start asking me some questions about this Chiefs team. If you're betting this year and you want more wins, listen to Lock On Bets. Your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports, they're going over everything you need to know. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. 
Joe Marino of Locked On Bills joined by Chris Clark of Locked On Chiefs to help get us ready for this AFC Championship game. And the AFC Championship game is a familiar place for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's the third consecutive year that they have hosted this football game. And so, Chris, as you reflect on this team and compare them to the last two teams that were in this position, what do you think some of the biggest differences are for this year's team? You know, honestly, I think that they could be better equipped this year than they have been in the past. Uh, I think the big question, obviously, you know, we talked earlier in the show that we're assuming that Mahomes is going to play. One of the big things that hasn't been talked about right now is whether or not Bashad Breeland's going to be available. Uh, he's in the concussion protocol as well. If he's not available, that's really going to be a big hit to Kansas City's secondary. That it's played very well, and they're going to definitely need it on Sunday against this Bills team. Uh, Rashad Fitton was out last week with ankle injuries. So if he's able to return, that will help a little bit. But still not having one of your starting corners is not where you want to be. When you look at this offense, I think they're better than they were the past couple of seasons. Uh, but the big question, and we just don't know right now, is Sammy Watkins going to be available? Because this Chiefs offense goes to another level when he is available, even if he's not heavily involved in the offense stats-wise. So this Chiefs team this year has been really fascinating to watch. They started off hot. They were rolling their opponents. Six of their first eight games were settled by multiple score victories for Kansas City. But the last nine, Chris, things have been tight. Each game settled by six points or less. And then obviously the, you know, you could put an asterisk by the the week 17 game against the Chargers. But, you know, a lot of tight games against teams that really weren't in the playoffs. So why do you think Kansas City is is playing so many tight games? Is it a matter of that they just turn it on when they need to? Or uh, is there some chinks in the armor that is leading to some uh, some narrow wins? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think you're looking at a situation where, you know, you talked about the Buffalo Bills health. Kansas City is pretty healthy for where they have been most of the season. Uh, the big thing that they're missing is their offensive line, and I think that has slowed them down a little bit. But I also think that you start looking at some of the players, some of the teams that they played late in the season. Uh, Carolina, obviously, that being a close game, that that's an outlier. Uh, Vegas, they lost to Vegas earlier in the season, and I think a divisional game, it's always going to be tough for the most part uh, if the divisional team is decent. Uh, any single year, but then they lost, they had a one score win against Tampa Bay. They had a one score win against Miami, another one score win against new Orleans. Uh, you look at the Denver game. Yeah, it's a one score game, but I think that was uh, a game that Kansas city handled most of the game. And then Atlanta was definitely an outlier as well. A lot of the teams that they played were playoff teams late in the season, you know, Tampa Bay, Miami didn't make the playoffs, but they were a very good team and have a fantastic defense. And then new Orleans, obviously was a playoff team. I think what you're also looking at is I think Kansas City looked at it and they said, okay, well, we're up in these games. We're going to, you know, kind of shift what we're doing and, you know, maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, and that also kind of leans into what Andy Reid has been known to do at times is he'll get up big early and then he'll let teams get back into games. And honestly, that's frustrating as somebody that watches the Chiefs all the time, but you've gotten kind of used to it at this point. I'm not saying that they don't have issues because they do, uh, but I do think that they're going to be ready for this game. And I think that they're ready to play uh, in this championship game again. In the uh, first segment that we had together, Chris, I talked about some of the differences uh, of the bills today compared to where they were in week six, when uh, Kansas city won that game 26 to 17. I'd like to ask you in what ways are the chiefs different today compared to week six? You know, you look at this team, and I think the defense has started to play better in the past couple of games. Uh, 
throw out week 17 because half the team didn't play. So uh, I don't think you really should take anything from that game at all. Uh, and then you start looking at, you know, the playoff game. Uh, they allowed 17 points. Uh, Atlanta, I think, has a good offense. They only allowed 14 points. Um, and keeping, you know, Breeze and uh, Tom Brady under 30 points, I think, is pretty good in this day and age. So I think the defense has started to round out, and I think they're starting to play better. Uh, but then you look at the offense, and while they haven't been putting up the points, they have been putting up yards when they need to, and they've been, uh, you know, ending games with drives at the end of the game. I mean, you look at the the divisional win, uh, who is going to expect the team to throw the ball on fourth and one uh, with Chad Henney as your quarterback, nonetheless. And it wasn't like he just stood up and threw the ball. It was he had to sprint to a spot to throw the ball. So there's a little bit of a moving part. I know that's still an easy play to do. But in that moment, it was a really gutsy call. And I think what you're seeing is that this team has evolved and Andy Reid has evolved because in years past, Andy would have punted the ball there and not gone for it. And then uh, when you kind of laser in on this matchup with the Bills, um, you know, we kind of talked about the run game a bit in our opening segment. But what comes to mind for you when you think about the X factors, uh, if you're considering this Chiefs Bills matchup for the from the Kansas City side of things, you know when you look at it offensively, obviously, with the assumption that Mahomes is playing, the X factor to me is going to be what do they get from the guys that aren't named Hill and Kelsey? Uh, you know, is Watkins going to play? We don't know right now. Uh, that would be a great get for Kansas City. I'm kind of thinking that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to play just because it, he was trending that way last week, uh, and that would be a big get for them, although Daryl Williams played fantastic in the divisional round. You start looking at what they can get from the other players, not ty- not named Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, and I think that's really one of the X factors when you look at the offensive side of the ball. You know, the, Marcus Robbins has had his moments this season. Uh, Brian Pringles had moments this season. Really, like I said, if Watkins plays, that could be huge for Kansas City, especially considering it could be, you know, a little bit of a revenge game for him uh, if he's able to go this week. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, the big question is going to be, obviously, we've kind of talked the Bills don't really run the ball that much, so that's not going to be as big of a concern, although Kansas City may try to make them run the ball more. But the question is going to be, is the secondary you know, ready to go and, and ready to play? Because this is going to be a tough matchup for them. There's a lot of speed on the Bills' sideline and on the Bills' side of the field uh, when it comes to offense. And you know, Cole Beasley is going to be something that concerns me because the slot guys have given – Kansas City, uh, a hard time in the past. Uh, so that's definitely something concerning from my perspective. Yeah, those those corner injuries are something of note because if, if the weather conditions are okay, the Bills are going to go a lot of 10 personnel, put four wide receivers on the field. They're willing to go empty backfield. And so they're going to stress the depth of your cornerback room. And so obviously uh, Fenton and Breland would be critical for Kansas City uh, on Sunday night. Last one for you, Chris. Fill in the blank for me. Kansas City wins the AFC. For the second consecutive year, if they win the AFC, if they are able to limit Josh Allen a little bit, uh, all they need is, you know, three or four stops, in my opinion, in this game, because I do think it's going to be a high scoring game on both sides of the ball. Uh, I understand that the Bills defense may be a little bit better than they were when they played Kansas City the first time. But what Kansas City's offense was doing, uh, you know, in the in the weeks past before the Atlanta game, even they were moving the ball up and down the field. And I do think that they're in a spot where, you know, you look in the divisional round and people were wondering, okay, are they going to come out and they're, are they going to be slow because they haven't played in basically three weeks? 
that didn't seem to be an issue. And then Mahomes goes out and that changes things, obviously. I think that they were probably well on the way to scoring over 30 points, if not closer to 40 in that game. So the question is, to me, is can Buffalo get enough stops to keep them under 30 points? Uh, to me, I don't think they're going to. I think Kansas City's going to put up enough points to win. Uh, but really, the answer to that question is going to be, Kansas City wins this game if they're able to slow Josh Allen down, but they're also able to win this game if they're able to get enough of a running attack to get the Bills to have to back off to allow Mahomes to do what he does best, which is improvise in the critical downs. Locked on Packers, locked on Bucks, our second crossover of the season. And I know that that Bucks fans uh, were very happy with my appearance after the fact um, because uh, they got to prove a lot of the things that I said in that uh, crossover wrong because the Packers didn't play well. Packers got their butts kicked in that game. And so I guess at its core, David, um, what is what is it about this Bucks team that is different from that iteration because the Packers are, are also a very different team from the one we saw back in October. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're both incredibly different and the Buccaneers, you know, are, are more different than I think anybody would have expected at this point in the season. Uh, when you, when you go back to that, that week six matchup with the green Bay Packers, I think everybody across the board is saying like, you can't rely on that week six outcome and, you know, as, as a precursor for what's going to happen this weekend. So I think that coming into this game, the, the Packers actually have a little bit of an advantage that they didn't have coming into that previous game. What I'm talking about is the knowledge of what this Buccaneers defense is going to look like for the most part. Uh, going back to week six, you know, the, the Buccaneers lost Vita Vea the week prior against Chicago Bears. So coming in to that matchup, Todd Bowles had to take his defense and basically restructured. I mean, we even saw Jordan Whitehead uh, as a defensive tackle. He actually got a snap credited as a defensive tackle in that game because of all the things Todd Bowles basically had to figure out how to manufacture a pass rush against his Green Bay offense. Those are things that the Packers couldn't have studied. They couldn't have seen on tape beforehand. Uh, no matter what they studied, no matter how far they went back in Todd Bowles' history, they weren't going to see those things because it was the first time we really saw Todd Bowles not have that guy who could play over the nose, play in the one, even play in the three. If he needed to, he'd lost that with Vita Vea going out and didn't get that back until Steve McClendon came in, but that wasn't until after that game. So really, the Packers were at at a disadvantage, I want to say, defense or offensively scheming against the defense because they didn't know what to expect. Now you have more of what to expect. Even if Vita Vea comes back, you can look back and see what they do with Vita Vea on the field. Now that they've had all this time to adjust to not having Vita Vea, found a little bit more success. It's still kind of hit or miss, but you can still look at what Todd Bowles is going to do without Vita Vea there in the middle, even with Steve McClendon there in the middle. So the Packers are going to come into this game with more knowledge, a little bit smarter, and that experience is always going to help. And then, of course, you got Lambeau Field. So, I mean, while the Packers are a lot different, Alan Lazard didn't play in this game last time, et cetera, the Buccaneers are also very different, but a little bit more consistent in their differences than I think the Packers are. So they have a little bit more film to study. Yeah. Speaking of inconsistencies, this offense ended the season playing pretty well. Overall, the numbers are going to look good. You look at DVOA and EPA and a lot of those those metrics that tell you about the, uh, the efficiency of this team. And yet... I just it seems like every week we don't know what to expect from them. Um, they they found this rhythm at the end of the year with more play action and more short passes. And then we go out in this game last week against the Saints. And it's all of a sudden all that stuff seems to be out the window. <laughs> I, I, I struggle to even ask you to predict how they're going to come out because it seems yeah. like week to week there is this this ocean of of inconsistency that we could get. We could get you know, the version that puts up 
that could have put up 80 points on the Lions if they wanted to, or this version that, you know, if not for turnovers, would have struggled to get to 20 last week against the Saints. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to see, the biggest difference between this Buccaneers team and then pre-buy Buccaneers team, I think really coming out of the buy, what you saw as an offense that turned more towards what it does well versus what it was trying to do well. And and what I mean by that is you're still going to see deep routes. You're still going to see them try and try to hit some, you know, some crossing patterns and, and all this other stuff and try to really threaten the defense, stretch them out, stress them out uh, with that deep ball. But since the bye week, I think we've seen more of Tom Brady kind of doing what he does best. And whereas before, I think he was trying to fit into that deep ball scheme, trying to make the deep ball work, so to speak. Whereas now he's saying, okay, if the deep ball is taken away from the defense, I'm going to go back and I'm going to rely on my short game. Uh, going up against the New Orleans Saints, he had the, the lowest yards per attempt uh, of this season in a win. So he had 6.05 yards per attempt. The only two other games he had with fewer yards per attempt were both losses. So this is the first time we've seen the Buccaneers have such a short passing game, I want to say, that you know consistently, and come out with a victory. And yes, a lot of that was due to the turnovers. But give the Buccaneers a little bit of credit. Still getting in scoring range on three or so of those possessions. Not enough. I don't think you can you can go into Green Bay and say, well, if, as long as the offense gets into scoring range three times on their own, we're going to be fine. But it's kind of one step into that next step. And if they continue to lean on that mentality and take essentially take what the defense gives you, right, then they can try to make some things happen, even if it's against a Green Bay defense in Lambeau. So if you're going to look at, you know, you mentioned at the top um, this week six game. I don't know that there's a ton to be learned from that game. Um, because these two teams are in such a different place. So I asked this of Lily Zhao yesterday from the Packers perspective, from the Buccaneers perspective, what are you most worried about going differently this time around than you were um, based on what we saw in week six? Yeah, I don't know. I would say I'm most worried about it being different. I'm, I'm more coming into this thing, expecting it to be different. That's the turnovers, the takeaways. I mean, this Buccaneers defense has been really good with takeaways at points in the season. I don't want to take that away from them uh, individually, but this is Aaron Rodgers. And, and I, I looked it up after that game and I saved it. I, I, brought, I brought it back up for this conversation. Aaron Rodgers had not thrown two or more interceptions in a game before that matchup with the Buccaneers this year since December 17th of 2017 against mm -hmm. Carolina Panthers. And he's only done it 16 times in 197 career games. Yeah, he was coming off a broken collarbone and still playing with it, probably not 100%. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So there you go. But what the numbers tell you is that there's a 92% chance that Aaron Rodgers is not throwing two or more interceptions. That's what the, that's what his history shows you. It's 197 games. So that's not, you know, there, there's no fluke there. That's a trend. You know what I mean? That's who Aaron Rodgers is. Now, there's some other players there. You know, maybe you can get a fumble from an Aaron Jones. Maybe you can get, you know, a bobbled pass by an A.J. Dillon who's nervous in the, in the limelight. Maybe. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to rely on taking the ball away from Aaron Rodgers the way they were able to the last time they saw each other and the way that they did against Drew Brees. So I'm not so much worried that they're not going to be able to do it. I know, essentially, that they're not going to be able to do it. My concern is, and I, and I talked about this on the Lockdown Bucks podcast, can your offense, and, and you just kind of hit on this, can your offense do enough on their own to manufacture enough offense, enough scoring, enough production to basically force the Green Bay Packers to not to do things that they maybe didn't want to do in their game script, in their game plan, kind of force them to, to, to adjust you and react to that pressure? Because again, if, if your offense is only producing nine points without the help of turnovers, that's going to be a problem. Now, at the same time, you don't want to carry last week into this week. Every week is a different game. And we've seen this Buccaneers offense come out and absolutely, you know, catch fire right out, right out, the, right out the gate and put up touchdown after touchdown. But that, that concern still kind of has to be there because this isn't the first time New Orleans that we saw the offense kind of sputter out the gate. They had two back-to-back -back three and outs to start the game. Almost had three back-to-back 
uh, three and outs, except for the fact that Bruce Arians went ahead and went for it from his own 36 on a fourth and one, and they converted. You yep. can't do that in Green Bay. If you come out against Green Bay and have two three and outs to start this game, you might be down 14 nothing before you look up. All right, coming up after this, we will flip it. I will take the hot seat, even though it's going to be very cold at Lambeau on Sunday. <laughs> Still 40% chance of snow, so maybe we can take the temperature down a little bit right after this. All right, guys, back now to continue our conversation with Peter Bukowski, the host of the Locks on Packers podcast. Like we were talking about in the break there, guys, brought to you by betonline.ag is another podcast called Locked on Bets. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and you want more of those wins, listen to Locked on Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked on Bets wherever you get podcasts. It sounds to me like you are more concerned about the Tampa Bay offense in this game than the defense. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, yes, because the offense still, even though we kind of know what they want to do, and we've seen, you know, the the adjustment to taking what the defense gives you versus just trying to force the deep ball. And you saw Cameron Brake get involved last week. You know, uh, playoff Lenny Leonard Fournette is, is is showing up during the postseason. Ronald Jones getting healthy. So even though you have a lot of good news, we're still yeah, we're still seeing some of the inconsistency that we've seen all season. They just don't look like they're just consistently on a regular basis, week in week out, in rhythm. And that's 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 always a problem in the playoffs, no matter who you're playing up against. Whereas the defense. You know, we, we kind of know what the defense is going to do. Like, the defense is going to give up some yards. They're going to give up some field positions what, or for field positions. But what they're going to try to do is force you into field goals and then wait for the mistake to happen and take advantage of the mistake. That's something they've done really well this year is when those opportunities show up for them to take the ball away. They've done pretty good in doing that, but they're going to give up yards. Uh, they're sitting at about 40, 40%, 45% or so on third down conversion allowed uh, to opponents. So, you know, when, when this defense gets into third and five, third and eight, Buccaneers fans know, look, this could be a first down. But it's okay because as long as you keep teams from scoring touchdowns, you keep them the field goals, your offense has time to get in rhythm. Last week, they got away with it with Drew Brees and the Saints. I don't know that they can get away with it with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. But to me, that's more on the offense than it is on the defense. Because if you're going out there matching touchdown for touchdown, I look at Ohio State and Alabama. This could be a game where the first team to come out and not get that touchdown could be the one that's in trouble. Yeah, let me finish on this um, because of it, it, it focuses on that defense. So if we're if we're just going to assume that that is the the strength of this team coming into the game, if you go back to that game and you mentioned the anomalous nature, and we've talked about it all week, Aaron Rodgers mentioned it after the game. He called it an anomaly, not a trend. Aaron Rodgers threw those two interceptions against the Blitz, according to NFL research. Rodgers was three of twelve against that Buccaneers Blitz yeah. with the two picks. Against every other team this year against the Blitz, Rodgers is 15 touchdowns, one interception. Yeah. And since week nine, the Bucks have allowed 13 touchdowns to just one interception when blitzing. Right. So is blitzing going to once again be the, the base or at least the, the main like tip of the spear strategy for stopping Rodgers? And if it isn't or if it doesn't get home, can they do enough on the back end to slow down this offense? Uh, it absolutely is going to be the way the Buccaneers come after Aaron Rodgers. They're absolutely going to try to blitz him. They're going to try to free up guys like Indominus and Sue. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody get such a visceral reaction so quickly in a game that Indominus and Sue got out of Aaron Rodgers uh, the last time they played. Granted, part of that came from a penalty. Yeah, you know what I mean? So when you, when you break yeah, the rules a little there's bit. history here. Yeah, exactly. There's history there from Detroit. You know what I mean? So they're absolutely going to try to get Indominus and Sue uh, into Aaron Rodgers' face you know, as early and as often as possible. But then at the same time, Devin White, coming off ball and then those edge edge defenders and then expect, you know, Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to come on some blitzes, et cetera, et cetera. Todd Bowles is not going to shy away from pressuring Aaron Rodgers, even though Aaron Rodgers is 
one of the better quarterbacks against pressure and is mobile. You know, he's, he's not like a Lamar Jackson necessarily, but he's still one, one heck of a mobile quarterback if he needs to be. So I don't know that's going to work. And as far as the back end is concerned, what, what really concerns me is that soft coverage and the tackling. The Buccaneers tackling has not been up to par you know, most recently, I mean, they did better against New Orleans, but against Washington, it was really bad. And then some other games we've seen tackling can be really bad. And you know that guys like Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Tanya, and, you know, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, et cetera, et cetera. They can take advantage of defenses that try to arm tackle or don't use proper form. And with that blitz coming, you also know your back end defense is very thin. So if you bring six or seven guys and then you have a broken tackle in the middle of the field or on a, on a reception or down the field on a reception, that's, that's all of a sudden that's an explosive play. You know what I mean? So that's going to be kind of the concern. I would like to say that if Aaron Rodgers takes advantage that early, Todd Bowles will probably back off a little bit. But history kind of says he may not actually back off a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think the key is Devontae Adams. If they come, I think when they come out, they're going to come out and say, go do your job. So if you're lined up on Devontae, if you're Carlton Davis, most likely, or Jamel Dean, and you're lined up on Devontae Adams, do your job. You might have top coverage on, you know, a couple, you know, uh, coverage schemes and all that stuff, but you're not going to be dedicated a partner necessarily to stop Devontae Adams. If that guy can contain him, I'm not even saying shut him down like they did Michael Thomas, but six catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown, if they can do that against Devontae Adams, it'll allow the rest of that secondary and the, and the linebackers that are in coverage to spread out and, and contain those other weapons. If they can't, and, and what the Packers do is force them to bring help to Devontae Adams, that's really going to be a problem. I think that's where you see guys like Alan Lazard maybe make a huge impact in this game. A lot of people want to know what is going to be the difference between that matchup and this matchup because – Kind of like the Saints, 38-3 to blowout of the Buccaneers early in the regular season. Nobody's expecting 38-10 to in this matchup, no matter, you know, on either side of the ball, to be honest with you. And I start with Aaron Jones. So in that game in the regular season, the Buccaneers held him to one and a half yards per carry, the lowest average he's had in his career when he ran the ball five or more times in a single game. So is it just, is the answer there just that was an anomaly and that's really all there is to it? Or is there something specific you see in Green Bay since then in their rushing attack and the way they use Aaron Jones? that tells you it absolutely will not happen again. Well, I think it's both, right? Because as you mentioned, it's the, it's the worst number of his career. And the other two guys, um, they put up over 60 yards on just nine carries, Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon. And, and A.J. Dillon broke off a 20-yard run uh, on a play where if Antoine Winfield doesn't take him down, he might be making a house call, right? So they were able to find some success on inside runs. They didn't stick to it. Matt LaFleur has said a couple times this season that they could have stuck to the run better. I think this was one of those cases where they could have because there was room inside. Um, that's where Jamal Williams hit them a couple times. That's where A.J. Dillon got them. Trying to run outside zone against a team with linebackers who flow like the Buccaneers do uh, is really it was really tough. And then you add in the game plan that Todd Bowles had in the run game, which was do not let the guards and the centers get out and get to the linebackers. So whenever possible on the interior, if you see a guard trying to climb, go try and occupy that block first. Try and shoot gaps so that they can't do that. Well, Green Bay has found a way to counter that. They're running more inside zone. They're running more gap scheme with duo, and they're running. They, last week, they pulled out a couple counters. A.J. Dillon hit them on, on a, for, for a first down on a counter play. So they found a greater diversity in the run game, and I think that can help protect the passing game. The Packers did a really bad job of play action against the Bucs. I think it was their worst play action game of the season statistically, mm -hmm. and part of that is they were really not able to get anything going in the run game. Now, we know 
you know, what the what the empirical uh, evaluation of that is. You don't need a great run game to be a great play action game. But I think for the Packers, they rely so much on trying to build one play. OK, it's now it's second and six after a, a, a first and 10 run it gets you four yards. OK, now the play action is easier in the flow of the offense. And, and I think that's a big deal for this team. They found better ways to make those balances work. They've stayed more patient in some of these subsequent games. And I think that is the biggest reason why you would have faith in it being different this time around. One more segment coming up here. Peter Bukowski and David Harrison locked on Packers, locked on Bucks on this crossover Thursday here at the Locks on Podcast Network, your team every day. Back now to wrap up our conversation, David Harrison here of the Locked On Bucks podcast, joined by Peter Bukowski, host of the Locked On Packers podcast. And guys, after you're done listening to this, make sure you hit up Locked On NFL. Thursdays on Locked On NFL are a must-listen as Ryan Tracy and Chris Carter preview the biggest midweek NFL storylines, key injury, roster moves, and more. Get all the expert analysis from Ryan and Chris every Thursday. Subscribe to Locked On NFL wherever you get your podcast. And now let's dive right back into the conversation between Peter Bukowski and I as we talk about this weekend's Tampa Bay Buccaneers Versus Green Bay Packers, NFC Championship match. Sticking with that run game, Peter, the, the, the Green Bay Packers had seven games this year where they ran for less than 100 yards, came out of that five and two. Obviously still a winning record. I mean, they're the number one seed in the NFC for a reason. But they had a, a point differential average in those games of just point four or a plus four. In the 10 games where they ran for 100 yards or more, they were nine and one and had a 12.6 point, uh, point differential there in favor of them, obviously. What is it about this run game? I mean, we, we, you know, obviously it's a passing league, Aaron Rodgers, all that stuff. But even going back to the Saints, the Saints historically have always done better, even with Drew Brees, a quarterback, Michael Thomas, whoever at wide receiver, when the running game is going best. And what so what is it, do you think, about this run game versus this Buccaneers defense this time around, whether Vita Vea plays ex, you know, extensively or not, that you think is going to be so much? Is it just that dedication to those inside runs? And do you think that's enough? Because they have added Steve McClendon and look good up the middle against run, inside runs as of late as well. Yeah, and and look, th- I think the Packers feel like their strength inside can match up with anyone. And I know Aaron Donald was hurt last week, um, but they dominated inside. Elton Jenkins and Corey Lindsley were awesome against the Rams. Lucas Patrick um, had one of his best games, frankly, as a pro last week. So we have to give credit to the interior there. The first time that these two teams played, Elton Jenkins was probably his worst game as a pro Corey Lindsley, one of his worst games um, that I can remember. And, and the athletic did a great job of highlighting this um, on, on some of the, the bucks blitzes. They also ran these twists that really confused green Bay and, and they didn't pass it off. Well, they didn't communicate well. Um, there were some slide protections that they missed or that they botched. It was the offensive line's worst game of the year, just from a, a communication standpoint, not, um, just an execution standpoint and the mental errors have just not been there this this year for the team outside of that game. So it is just another anomaly point here to say, OK, that's an outlier. It's probably not going to happen again. This this offense, you know, Billy Turner stepped in for David Bakhtiari seamlessly against the, the Bears. They were able to run the ball inside even against Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and the front that they have there. So. I, I think Green Bay is is going to say, look, we have so many ways to run the ball effectively that we're just going to try them all, <laughs> you know, and and when you have that diversity, I think that creates more indecision from your linebackers, from your safeties. If all of a sudden the safeties have to fly up, then that creates opportunities over the top. And I think that's something that Green Bay is really going to have to be efficient with. They, they only took a couple shots against the Rams 
but they hit two of them. And then another one was an out of structure play to, to Robert Tanyan at the end of the first half. They have to hit those. And if they can get the run game going, I think that makes it easier to do it. Yeah. And then flipping over to the Packers defense, Peter, uh, against the Rams, it seems like this defense was kind of feast or famine. And fortunately for Green Bay fans, they feasted more than they were, uh, you know, they dealt with the famine, I guess you want to call it that. They held Los Angeles to four drives of five yards or less, which is amazing. Um, but they did give up three drives of 62 yards or more. And then they had one drive right there in the middle, a 25 yard drive there in the fourth quarter. Uh, does that tendency to give up basically nothing or nearly everything? One of those drives didn't end with a field goal, but two of those three drives did end up with touchdowns. Does that worry you against the Buccaneers offense that's kind of shown more in the past four or five games that they are willing and capable of putting together sustained drives? You know, it's it's funny because doesn't that sort of fit perfectly with the personality of the Bucs? That, that for two or three drives, they're just going to look like what is going on. And then for for two or three drives, they're going to look like, how did anyone ever stop this team? I mean, <laughs> Definitely that, at times, yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's sort of the MO for this team in a lot of these games, and especially in the big games. Um, in the in the games against the best teams, so I, I think you know what we saw the first time around in this in this matchup was Green Bay kind of did that early on. You know they they get a couple punts, and if it if it isn't for that interception, um, that pick six that really changed everything. Um, you know who knows if the game plays out any differently because Green Bay didn't didn't really have to force um, the. I almost said the Patriots, the Buccaneers um, to I do that because of Brady, obviously. And I think I did it the first time we recorded the show um, <laughs> blame you for it. that, you know, that inconsistency. You just hope that that they don't sort of cross streams, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, the Bucks find the the three perfect drives when the Packers are going to have their three bad drives, you know, you, you hope that, that they, 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 they don't cross streams like that. But what it does do is if you do get three or four, three and outs and you get those quick turnarounds, all of a sudden, you know, to the point you made earlier, it could be 14 quick points. It could be 10 quick points. And all of a sudden now you're putting pressure back on this Buccaneers offense to go out and make plays. So it's how the, the Packers have done it all year. It felt worse watching um, then the final numbers indicated you were so, sort of going, wait, how, how are they giving up these? How does Jared Goff completing all these passes? And then you look up at the end of the game and they only gave up 244 total yards, 18 mm-hmm. points, which is the second lowest to- point total of the year for the Rams. They actually, in aggregate, played really well. It was just on three drives. They looked bad. Well, right. the other five drives, they looked really good. Oh. And if that's the ratio that they can put together against the Bucks it gives them a really good chance to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you t- I've heard you talk a little bit this week about this matchup with the Buccaneers uh, leading up to this episode, of course. And something that you kind of mentioned is that this defense, this Green Bay Packers defense, that is, may give up some yards, may give up some field position, may allow the Buccaneers to move the ball here and there. The key is keeping them from scoring those touchdowns for one and, of course, keeping them from putting up points in general if you can, even if you do give up the yards. And it kind of got me thinking. So I looked it up, and the Packers are allowing an average of 3.2 yards per carry inside the red zone, which is about middle of the league. Um, and they're tied for 16th, so basically literally middle of the league with 14 rushing touchdowns in the same part of the field. Buccaneers rushing offense is basically the same. 14 rushing touchdowns in the red zone and about middle of the pack and running inside the red zone. So if the Packers do kind of make sure they keep the lid on things against, you know, the deep pass that, that you know, that Bruce Aarons is going to try to hit and they allow Tom Brady and Tom Brady takes the, you know, the five yard check down here and there moves the ball down the field, gets inside the 30, you know, at a red zone is 20, but say it gets inside the 30. Is there, is there enough? Cause you feel like one of these middle of the road rush defense, rush offense teams is going to slip. One of them's going to rise up to the challenge. 
The other one's going to falter. What gives you confidence that Green Bay's rush defense that can force the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to take those field goals instead of getting into the end zone when they do get into scoring range? Well, I, I think, you know, if, if you put Mike Patton on a, on a lie detector, he would just sort of say, who cares? And not that, that, you know, this is not the old run defense doesn't matter trope, although I have banged that drum for a long time. I think his deal is just just try and force field goals in the red zone. And if you can't, make sure you're also forcing three and out. So this is this is dovetails perfectly with our last discussion because they they understand that teams are gonna are gonna score, especially good teams. They're gonna put together drives. What they want to make you do is say, okay, we're gonna make you go 10 plays, 12 plays, 15 plays, 18 plays. We saw what an 18 play drive in that Saints game. The that is going to be the goal. And if you score a touchdown, great. But we think, as the Packers, we think your offense can't be as efficient as our offense. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if there's only eight possessions in the game, we think we can we can make you punt three or four times. And we think if we have eight possessions, you can't make us punt three or four times. And and that's that's the difference. And and that was the difference last week. Um, and, and it's been really the difference all year because Green Bay's had the best offense in football. Um, really the only time they've been even close to shut down is this Bucks game. And it was the turnovers. Yeah. And so that's why I've been saying all week, if, if the Packers can avoid turnovers, I just think they'll be more consistent than this Bucks offense, sort of irrespective of how the, the two defenses play. So as long as the Packers defense doesn't fully crap the bed like they did against the, the 49ers, they're going to give themselves a really good chance to win just because this offense is just that good. For more matchups to watch, keys to victory, and predictions, check out Locked on Chiefs, Locked on Bills, Locked on Packers, and Locked on Bucks wherever you get your podcasts.